Hey, this is Nathan Dawkin from Fantrax HQ, as well as the Nasty Cast and Fantrax Dynasty Baseball Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 92, Office Space Movie Review. Chris McBrien here, along with Caveman Derek Myers. As always, you're going to find us on Twitter, at McBrien for myself, at Amaron underscore DM for Derek. PopGoesYourWorld.com is the website. And if you listen to the show on uh, iTunes, make sure you take a minute and leave us a review. We would definitely appreciate that. Wouldn't we, Derek? Yes, we absolutely would. What's new in your life, my friend? Uh, well, we got the Oscar nominations uh, in the last couple of weeks since we've recorded our last show. We were obviously off last week, but uh, during that time, I was able to see a few more of the nominees for Best Picture. So eight movies were nominated for Best Picture. How many have I've you now, seen? I've seen seven out of eight. You have a lot of time on your hands. That's pretty well, good. Well, you know, I don't have kids, so that, that frees up a lot of time for me. Um, so the only one I haven't seen yet is The Favorite, which I plan to watch this week. Uh, over the last week since you and I chatted, I watched Stars Born, I watched Green Book, and I watched Vice. I, I enjoyed all three. Stars Born, I watched it once. I enjoyed it. I thought the music was good. I thought the performances were good. I thought the direction was good. But that's it. I don't ever have to see it again. It really wasn't my kind of movie. And as much as I love Bradley – I got a man crush on Bradley Cooper, once was enough. Um, Vice about uh, Vice President Dick Cheney was amazing. It was uh, directed and I believe also written by the guy who did The Big Short a few years ago. And it's shot in sort of that similar style where it's not all told in a linear fashion and they cut away to explain complicated topics in a way that makes it really easy to understand. Uh, they, they break the fourth wall a lot of times in the movie and Christian Bale was exceptionally good. I have no doubt he's going to win an Oscar. Uh, and then the other one was Green Book. Which sorry, just, sorry, just yes, one thing about Vice. So did they, do they include the scene where uh, Cheney shoots the guy in the face when they're hunting? Yes. Yes. Jeez. Oh, oh, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Christian Bale like literally <laughs> transforms himself. And uh, if you didn't, if you didn't realize you were watching this fictional, well, I guess it's a non-fictional movie. Uh, he looks so good. He put on the weight and they gave him the makeup. He looks so much like Dick Cheney. It's kind of scary. I will say uh, this. My wife and I went to see a movie, you know, a little while ago, a couple months ago, and there was a trailer for Vice. And I'm watching the trailer. I'm like, okay, you know, whatever, watching it. And then all of a sudden at the end, they say, you know, starring Christian Bale. And I'm like, which one was he? Christian Bale was in that? Well, which one is he? And my wife was like, oh, my God, he was Dick Cheney. I was like, what? what? Like, I just didn't recognize him in, in the trailer. I did not. I didn't know that was Christian Bale. Yeah, he's he was so good. Transforming and, performance, yeah, crazy. I, I mean, Remy Malek is is uh, a runaway freight train. He won the Golden Globe. He won the SAG Award. So he's certainly picking up steam. And as we've talked about previously, when uh, Bohemian Rhapsody first came out, I thought Remy Malek did a great job portraying it, Freddie Mercury. Even though the movie itself had some inaccuracies with the real life of Queen, uh, I, I do think that he's going to be a serious contender for this award but i think it's uh i i don't think he's going to surpass christian bale i think christian bale just was so much better um 
And then the third, uh, the third one I saw was Green Book. Uh, I think Mahershala Ali is absolutely a lock on uh, Best Supporting Actor. The movie was great. Um, I don't think it's going to win Best Picture. There is a lot of uh, behind-the-scenes baggage that's attached to Green Book. We won't necessarily go into that right here, right now. But if you sort of push that aside and you watch the movie, I think it's an enjoyable movie. I think a lot of people liked it. I think the performances were good. Viggo Mortensen is great. Mahershala Ali is great. And um, yeah. It's uh, those were those are three good picks. Like uh, I think the the eight movies we've got nominated this year, th- it's a good batch. So I have a question for you, and, and this is kind of interesting because this show is this podcast is kind of neat because it's it tends to be evergreen. Like and what I mean by that is obviously people can listen to it like a year or two down the road. They can go back and listen to the shows because you know we're talking yep. about movies and stuff from a while ago and stuff like that. So it's usually evergreen. But that being said, so people will listen to it. You know. You know, you know, in six months from now, or a year from now, whatever. But what, what do you, what do you think is going to win Best Picture for the, the year two thousand eighteen? What's what's what movie is going to walk away with the prize? I think Roma's going to win. Roma, yes, it's I really want to see that. You recommended that on to me. Netflix. Yeah, it's on Netflix right now. It is. Um, it, it has the most nominations of any movie. Uh, the director is absolutely going to win. He won for Gravity, the movie starring Sandra Bullock. He's Quaron, right? Quaron, yes. Yep. Uh, if you're doing your Oscar pools, that is a lock, 100%. He is absolutely going to win. I, I'm fairly confident that Roma will also win. And, uh, I, you know, it may not be a, a popular choice among the mass population that's watching the show because I think a lot of people maybe aren't going to watch it because it's a foreign film. It's subtitled. It's black and white. But it's on Netflix, so it's accessible to so many more people than a movie that's, say, in the theater that people don't necessarily have the time or the energy to leave their house and go and drop their 20 bucks and go see a movie. So, And it is a technical masterpiece. Like, this guy knows how to make a movie. Mm-hmm, no kidding. Uh, one thing I wanted to mention before we get into the movie this week, uh, my son is nine years old, and it's getting to that time of the year where he has to do a speech in his in his class, right? Uh, so yes. so all of his like buddies, is all of his you know friends there. Uh, they're doing uh, speech topics like Minecraft, and you know one of them's doing <laughs> on like Fortnite and all this. My son is doing his speech on Queen. Oh, they're gonna say Happy Days. <laughs> that would have been something Queen. else. No, Queen, I I love it. I love it. Now let me ask you this. Yep, Chris. You're not afraid to speak in front of people. You're a teacher, for God's nope, sake. Yep, you give I, speeches. Yep. You've been a performer. Yep. And I'm certainly not shy either. I yep. love speaking in front of people. How's your kid? Does he like speaking in front of people? Yes. Or is he a shy kid? Is he a little bit nervous about being in front of the group? Overall, he comes off as being like like he's not shy at all. But I will say, last year he did a speech on Star Wars, the original Star Wars movie from 77. And... Um, when he practiced at home with me, like he was hitting the highs, hitting the lows. He had inflection in his voice. He was he was just hitting the everything. And then I went to see him. He actually got picked. So he did it for his class and he got picked to do it in front of the whole school. So I was just so proud. And I went there. But he was he, I think he was maybe a little bit nervous because the inflection wasn't there as much. You know, he was a little bit sort of shy in a way when he did it. So I don't know if maybe because he had to go in front of the the whole school, their parents and stuff like there. I mean, it's hard, man. He was only eight, you know. Now, mind you, that being said, I'm going to tell you a quick little story and then we'll get started. When I when I was eight, I remember we did this play and I was in like grade three or something at the time. And we had done this school play and um and people had roles in it. Like, if you didn't have a speaking role, you would be like a tree or something like that. You know, it's one of those kind of places. And I convinced the teacher that what I would do is, is my role was I was going to warm up the audience. 
and, and, and that's she, so perfect, Chris. I, that's so, that's so me because she was even like, "What does that mean? Warm up the audience? What are you? What, you're eight. What are you talking about? How do you even know what that is?" And I'm like, "I'm going to come out before the play, and I'm going to." warm up the audience. I'm going to, I'm going to tell a couple jokes. I'm going to put them at ease. I'm going to get them ready for the show. And she's like, what, is, what even is this? And then I, I was able to convince her it was a good idea. And she let me do that. So when I was eight, I was out warming up the audience. As you said, <laughs> as you said I have no problems with talking to people. So I like it. So anyway, on that note, let's get started. I mean, we love him. We hate him. We agree. We disagree. Freddie Mercury is the greatest singer who, who ever was. He is the greatest singer that ever will be. Some of the things in Freddie Mercury's real life were uh, possibly X-rated. <laughs> there is no way Rocky was a better movie than Taxi Driver. I love this idea. Probably the greatest film that's ever made. And I just picked it on a whim. And we can have a couple beers and we can play Escape from the Death Star. Walking in a winter wonderland. I try to pick something Christmas. This is a Fargan trick question. Okay, so Derek, you nominated the film for this week. It's 1999's Office Space. Do you want to start us off, talk a little bit about the movie, why you nominated it? I had never seen the movie before you mentioned it. I know it was a big cult hit, but I didn't really know much else about it. Um, So I had the chance, obviously, to watch it, and I'm ready to go. But uh, why did you nominate this film? All right, so... Let me tell you a little bit for people who maybe haven't seen the movie or haven't seen it in a while. They're like, that sounds familiar. Let me just sort of sum it up as quickly as I can about what the movie's about. So it is a group of friends that work in a uh, computer company as a part of a bank. They basically are going over banking software in preparation for the uh, Y2K crisis, which our younger listeners are going to say, I have no idea what that is. Uh, In the uh, in last century when they started doing computer programming and they had to enter the dates in order to save space in the code instead of writing 1984 they just wrote 84 and for a while no problem but when we got to 1999 it was going to roll over to 2000 if there weren't any changes made to the code, it would think it was 1900 instead of 2000 and that would potentially cause all sorts of technical problems so uh Many companies, every company, spend a lot of time, a lot of money hiring people to review their software and make the necessary changes so that when it went from 99 to 2000, it would understand that it went from 1999 to 2000 and not 1999 back to 1900. So the characters in this movie, that's their job. And it is absolutely as boring a job as you might imagine. And that's a large part of where the humor comes from in this movie. Uh, so these guys basically have this crappy job that they hate and they're, you know, they're in a rut. They're going through the same routine every day. And then the one guy gets sick and tired of it. He agreed to go to couples counseling with his girlfriend and he gets hypnotized. And he says to the hypno uh, to the counselor who's a hypnotherapist, can you make it so that, you know, when I go to work, I don't feel so crappy that that my work doesn't bother me nearly as much as it does? Can you make it seem like today's the best day in my life instead of the worst day in my life? And so the hypnotist does that. And then, of course, the guy has a heart attack and dies. So they never bring him out of the hypnosis. And hilarity ensues as he now has no worries and no fears and he no longer hates his job and he no longer has any inhibitions. He has no filter. He goes to work and he tells everybody exactly what he thinks about the job and about them and about his role there. And so that's sort of, that's what, and then, you know, things happen. We'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's sort of the premise of the setup of the first 20 minutes of this movie. Now, when I first saw this movie, I saw it on video. I never saw it in the theater, but it would have been like in 2000 in the year 2000, I started working at a bank. 
Now, I wasn't a coder working on bank code for the Y2K uh, compliance thing, but I worked with a lot of people who had that kind of job, and my job touched on their job a lot. So I really personally was able to identify with the characters. A lot of times you go to a movie and you go, I know a guy just like that. I know a guy just like that. When I watch Office Space, half of the characters, I'm like, I know a guy like that, or that's me to a certain extent. And so I was really able to see myself on screen and 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 relate to these characters and that just made the humor so much funnier to me uh the movie in my opinion is tremendously funny there's a lot of very humorous scenes and being able to identify that closely with so many of the characters just made it funnier and funnier and i i just watched this movie again last week and i still laugh my butt off the whole way through uh there's so many good things in this movie so many great lines so many memorable scenes so much comedy and chris i really hope that when we get to you you're not going to just slam this movie but i loved it i thought it was great it it wasn't a box office hit but when it got out on video, a lot of people found it and recommended it and shared it with their friends. They shared it on video. They shared it on DVD. And it continuously runs on cable. And I think even 20 years later, people have jobs that they don't necessarily love, that they don't want to go to every single day and that they're fed up and they watch this movie and they can really relate with these characters and say, yeah, I wish I could have a situation where someone could just hypnotize me and I wouldn't feel my job sucks quite as much as this. So for, with that, I'm going to turn it over to you, Chris. Tell right. me a little bit about your experience with this movie. Um, well, I get it. It's, you know, it's supposed to be a funny movie about miserable people, right? Um, overall, I would say I liked it. You know, I enjoyed it. Um, I didn't love it. I, I think at times it's kind of boring. Um, it's the thing is for me is it's nothing like sort of the classic comedies of the seventies and eighties. And and it seems crazy to say, well, it's not like the good old the good old movies. You know, when we're talking about a movie that's twenty years old, <laughs> you know, because I'm really going back. But I've uh, there's something about those kind of eighties kind of comedies that were just. I, I think I feel like they almost stopped making really good comedies. You know, in the 80s, I think maybe Coming to America might be like kind of the last of them. Um, there was one in 97 called Private Parts. I don't know if you've ever seen it. The Howard Stern movie? Love yeah, it. and it was great. And it, it, to me, it was a reverent but lovable at its heart type movie. It kind of reflected like those 70s and 80s comedies. But I, since then, I haven't seen anyone really do it other outside of maybe Judd Apatow. Um, anyway, so that being said... Um, this movie, like I say, it was pretty good. And I, I get some of the, the things I, you, you mentioned it, it didn't do well when it came out. It bombed when it came out. Like it just Oh, it bombed. sure did. Yeah. And, we'll, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into that tonight, you know, for some of the reasons yeah. why it did. Um, I'd like to concentrate on some of the things I liked and then didn't like about the movie uh, tonight. But I mean, I just get that kind of like you were talking about the redundancy of their job. But also for me, the thing that struck me was the redundancy of management. In, oh, absolutely. Like, I mean, like, I remember the one guy, he basically, he's like a manager and he, he basically does nothing every day. And he admits as much in his interview with the two consultants. And speaking of those two consultants, even those guys, like, like they reinforce this point because they both have the same name. They're both Bob. Yeah. You know, um, but uh, the, one of the, the things that kind of stuck, stuck out to me in this movie was, um, when I was watching the scene when they go to the, uh, is it Tchotchkes? The, the, yeah, the, the restaurant, restaurant, right? Yeah. And there's a guy there, the waiter, and he's like all like, you know, um, 
outgoing guy. And I first see him, I'm like, where have I seen that guy before? And then the same thing with that obnoxious guy. You know, the guy they work with, I think his name's Drew in the movie. He's the one that told Peter that uh, that Jennifer Aniston slept with Lumberg. Um, Yeah. Yeah, that guy. And I I seen him and the same thing. I'm like, where have I seen this guy before? And then I looked him up and I realized... I hadn't seen him in anything else. Like, I didn't recognize him from anything. And it made me realize something about this movie. I don't think you're supposed to recognize the actors. But instead, you're supposed to recognize the characters, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. They're, they are basically archetypes of people yes. you would find in an office or in the uh, uh, areas that are tangential to an office. So, you, yeah, you have your office people. But when they go for the breaks, they go here. And these are the kind of employees they have to deal with. Like he says, oh, someone's got a case of the Mondays. And like, you you know, that guy says that every Monday, no matter what. And it drives them crazy. When they went to cast the movie, like they but obviously went with unknown actors. And these are the kind of things that get studio execs really upset, right? Because they, they want stars in the movie. Right. To increase the box office draw. But the whole point of this movie is to like, just like you said, it's to present a workplace that's relatable. Right. You're supposed to watch this movie and say, hey, I know that guy from my work or, you know, I I work right beside a guy like that. You know what I mean? So regardless of what the studio heads want, if this movie would have been made with a bunch of Hollywood stars, it would have lost that relatability factor. Absolutely. I agree 100%. Nobody is going to watch a movie with Tom Cruise in it and go, oh, man, I work with a guy just like Tom Cruise. So let me. Unless unless maybe you work at the Religious Technology Center at the Church of Scientology. (laughs) You know, this is not the case, right? So let me interrupt you here. Sure. uh, I have a subscription to Entertainment Weekly magazine, and I've had this subscription for, geez, probably 20 years now. Uh, They practically give it away for, like, I think I'm getting them for like 25 cents an issue. It's ridiculous how cheap it is because they want you to keep getting the print subscription. In the issue that was sent to my house a couple of weeks ago, like I think in the last two or three weeks, they did a 20-year retrospective of Office Space. It was just coincidentally, I after I suggested to you we watch this movie, I, I started going through some of my EWs that had shown up in the last few weeks. And sure enough, as I was reading through, I found this article. And in it, they interview the various members of the cast. And they interview Mike Judge. And they ask him like about casting what ifs. Who else was on the short list? And the main guy, Peter, who ended up being played by Ron Livingston, mm-hmm. almost they almost cast Matt Damon right after he did Goodwill Hunting. Matt Damon. Yeah, they, I think they wanted Ben Affleck and Matt Damon both to be in this movie. Yeah, they were. Not the, 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 the studios cast, did, yeah. Yeah, they, the casting director was, she had a flight booked to go meet Matt Damon the next day, and somebody who knew Ron Livingston said, hey, uh, you got a 15 minutes right now, can you just meet this guy, let him read for this part? And she's like, yeah, sure, fine. And they said, he was just so amazing, they're like, you know what? I don't think we need Matt Damon. We're going to go with this guy who at the time was completely unknown. And they were like, yeah, he's perfect. Let's keep him. But had he not been available that day or the casting agent was like, I'm going to fly out and talk to Matt Damon first because the studio absolutely wanted some big names in it. This could have been Matt Damon in office space. And, you know, I don't think it would have had it would have the longevity it has. I don't think it would have had the relatability. I don't think it would have been I don't think it would have gained the following it gained long term. If it had those big stars, exactly like you say, it's harder to identify with this guy who has such a hard life if, if he looks like Matt Damon. <laughs> the part of Peter could not have been played by Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Like there's no, there's no there's no way they he could have played the part because here's the thing. If the if the character had any kind of charisma or confidence in any way, 
he would just walk away. He'd be like, I'm better than this job. I'm out of here. See ya. Like the yeah. character had to be kind of a little schluppy. You know what I mean? He had to be somebody yeah. that, that felt like he was trapped in that job. That's the whole point of the movie. And going back to what we were saying before about um, not having stars in it, that is kind of the genius of this movie in a way, if you can say that, because you know these characters. You, you don't know the actors. It's not about the, who's in this movie. It's about the characters. And every character in the movie is relatable to the audience. Every yeah. character, you just look at it, you're like, I know that guy. I know that guy. I know that guy. So, yeah, Matt Damon could not have been in this movie. I just don't see the way. Yeah. No, yeah. it's uh, – and, and so one of the things that I love about Office uh, – so for me – a movie that has... Although I will say, sorry, yeah, just sorry, jump in. It would, yeah, have yeah. Been, it would have been neat if Matt Damon was in it to hear Milton say, Matt Damon. <laughs> yeah. <With that. laughs> um, so one of the things to me that makes a movie great, that, that really emphasizes that a movie has staying power, longevity, has you know stands the test of time, is does it have memorable lines is it a quotable movie now i'm not saying every movie that's a st- that that has the, that that has passed the test of time is quotable but if you think back to your favorite movies of all time i'm sure you're able to pull out a half a dozen quotes that if you just said that randomly to someone they would instantly say that's from star wars or that's from jaws or whatever it might be you know uh, office space i think has uh, enough of those that people do recognize it. Now, I don't think it's nearly as as memorable as Star Wars or Jaws by any stretch of the imagination, but I think people who saw it and have enjoyed it and maybe have even seen it a couple of times in the last 20 years, if you you start throwing out some of the some of the quotes and some of the lines, they'll get it, especially when you say to people, "Yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to ask you to come in on Saturday." Like they know they're like oh my god that's from that movie that office movie and you're like yes it is um you know and there's a number of other examples and i think that uh that works i think that's a big part of the success of the movie is that i will i will say this that going into this movie i heard that same thing i heard people saying like oh this movie is so quotable it's just got all these quotes and i didn't come away from this movie thinking that it was all the quotable and you know how much i love movies that you can quote like you and i can do like caddyshack and like stripes <laughs> all day long you know sure but this one it didn't the only one is yeah that um yeah was was one um and the other the only one that stood out to me as as a sort of a quote was did you get the memo like that one stands if i said did you get the memo you'd be like okay it's office space but other than that 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 being said i don't think that there like i think there was some pretty funny lines in the movie but i don't know if it was all that quotable and i know i've heard that a lot and i was just i was a bit taken aback like i like when uh when peter's talking i don't know what the guy's name is it's diedrich bader plays him uh he plays the guy lawrence next door. is the roommate lawrence yeah. okay when he, yeah. he's like breast exams channel six yeah when he when, he, when peter says to him, what would you do if you had a million dollars and the guy's like i'll tell you what i do man i do two chicks at the same time and it's like I thought. So I thought there was funny lines in it. And when the guy was talking about his, he, he had an idea for a, a jump to conclusions, Matt. And then yeah. and the going guy's like, "That's the worst idea I've ever heard in my life." <laughs> so there was lines in there that made me laugh. I thought yeah. it was pretty good. And then the guy at the, I don't remember his name. He, he's like, he basically like is in like a full body cast and his like neck is on support and everything. And he's like, Oh, remember if you, you hang in there, good things can happen to you. Just look at me. <laughs> like, like so there was lots of funny lines, but I just don't know how many 
quotable lines came out of it. Maybe it's just me. I don't know. That was my takeaway. Well, I, so I was sort of making a list as we were chatting. So, like, I think, I think things like the reference to a TPS report. I think anyone who works, yeah, in that's true. Okay, that brings that yeah. up a yeah. lot. And and often I, I've even done it myself, or I've heard people do it, where you're in a meeting and someone's like, "We need a this and a this," and someone goes, "Yeah, I'll get you this, this, and I'll make sure to throw in the TPS report with that." And you hear a few people chuckle because they sort of get that it's like a joke being mm-hmm. thrown in. Um, the, uh, you know, reference to the swing line stapler is, is big in office culture. And I've got a little anecdote about that. We'll tell you that a bit later, um, where they talk about, you know, are you wearing your 30 pieces of flair? Uh, I hear that a lot. Um, and then, yeah, like the whole, yeah, just with the the slow drawl, it's like, of course, everyone's like, that's totally from office space. So there, there are definitely a few. And, and I think, again, some of them are more just situational things. If this happens and you respond with a certain line, people catch it and they're like, yeah. And if you work in, uh, if, I mean, I know you don't work in an office like I do where it's like cubicles and corporate culture. I used to, I I used to though. Yeah. I think, I think it's more of a, a, well, I hesitate to use the term niche movie, but I think, People who work in that environment day in day, like I've been in working at a bank now 20 years, and there's a lot of parts. And like I just watched Office Space again this week, and there's stuff that I picked out of it, and I'm like, oh my god, we just did that. <laughs> Whereas a decade ago, even though I had had 10 years experience at the bank, maybe I hadn't personally experienced that kind of thing. And then, sure enough, oh my god, that that absolutely happens in my office. <laughs> so I thought it was uh, interesting. We were talking before about uh, we, we couldn't have got big actors in this movie because you needed the small parts. And, you know, I mentioned how studio, the studio types always want a- actors, you know, big names in this. And the thing is, is that I'm assuming that's why Jennifer Aniston got in this movie because they needed one yeah. name, you know, so the studio yeah. kind of got their way. And funny enough for me, she's the worst part of the movie. Because, like, her in her appearing in this movie, it proves my point. Movie stars just sort of de- distract from sort of the realism of a movie like this. Um, now, I know she wasn't like a quote-unquote movie star. She was a TV star, right? But by 1999, Friends was a massive hit. So yeah, I mean, she had star power, right? Yes. But the, the problem for me is, like, she's too good-looking to be the waitress at Tchotchkes. And every scene she's in, the movie goes flat for me. And I, like I say, I get it. They probably never would have got the movie greenlit, you know, unless they had her on board. I get it. But casting her in the movie, I think, was one of the worst parts of the movie. Yeah, I'll agree. The the, the parts with her did, certainly didn't really appeal to me that much. They seem to take away – like for me, I, it's called Office Space. I wanted to see more about the office and the people that work in the office. And yeah, I get it that she started dating the guy from the, the, the company. But by the time he – gets the courage to to ask her out and date her like he's he's now changed and so i don't necessarily think that really adds to the humor or even drives the story forward as much as i wanted it to now in the ew article i was just talking about they mentioned how because she was literally the only real recognizable star from the movie at that time they wanted to put her face on the poster and so it would have been like and and that was one of the things in the article mike judge talks about how he's like you know, they really didn't know how to market the movie and they were pitching all these ideas and the studio kept saying, we have Jennifer Aniston in this movie. She's in Friends. She's hot. Let's uh, let's put her on the poster so people know she's in the movie. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. The movie's not about her. Like the main plot of the movie has literally nothing to do with her. You can't put her face on the poster and sell it as a Jennifer Aniston movie. People are going to be ticked off. That's not what this movie's about. And, you know, I think 
greater heads prevailed. They do not have her on the movie poster. Um, now, the poster they do have is just a guy covered in post-it notes. Which, which goes back not. to your point about how they yeah. don't know how to market this movie. Yeah. Because why? And, why I, I saw that too. I'm like, why is that guy in all these post-it notes? Like, the, it, the studio didn't know what the hell to do with this movie, did they? No, it, it, it seemed, from what I've read, it was it was one of those things where Mike Judge got enough money to make the movie, and it's almost like he made it, and they sort of forgot about it. And then when it was done, they're like, oh, yeah, we have this thing. Well, you know, we've already paid the money. Let's put it out. And I think that's a big part of why it did not do well in the theaters. But as I mentioned before, I worked at the video store for a lot of years. Now, I was obviously done at the video store and working at the bank by the time Office Space came out. But I still had a lot of friends who worked at the video store, and – that was part of how I found this movie is I, you know, I'd go into the video stores and I would talk to my friends and what's hot. What do you like? And they're like, have you seen this movie office space? I'm like, never heard of it. And they go, it's about guys working at a bank. This is about you. You should watch this. And I watched it and I loved it. And I bought my own copy and I was sharing it with all the people in my office and nobody had heard of it. And they were all like, this movie's fantastic. Uh, but again, it, it was, it was something that people discovered on video on cable uh, you know, on DVD many years down the road and were – if they work in an office, they were – or if they used to work in an office, they were able to identify with somebody. That guy's just like my boss. That guy's just like the guy who sits next to me. A guy I know in my office always has a problem with the printer, just like that guy. I, You know, I wish I could be those guys who go and take that printer into the field and smash it to bits because I have a printer in my job that's just as hard to work with as that thing. So – Oh, well, you mentioned about how it became a cult hit, and it wasn't even really through video, really. It was a Comedy Central was a new channel at the time, and they needed content. So they ra- they got this movie, and they just ran it over and over and over again, and it really found an audience. Like you mentioned, like it was it, it bombed when it came out, but it kind of found an audience over time. A um, couple things I want to talk about, because there's a couple parts of these movies I really, that I really like. Um, Jennifer Aniston, notwithstanding, I didn't like her. But a couple of the actors that I did like in it. I'll start with Gary Cole. Gary Cole, <laughs> I think he might be one of the most underrated comedic actors of the last 25 years. I, 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 I swear. He, I cannot believe this guy is not bigger than he is. Like, he should have been getting roles like crazy. I, I think the thing is, casting directors just don't know what to do with him. You know, it's, it's just too bad. The guy's got talent. So let me tell you what I love. So I agree. I love Gary Cole in this movie. I think he's great. Two performances that he does that I think are completely underrated, the Brady Bunch movies. I was going to mention that as well. Where he may, he oh plays the dad. God. He, It's like, as an actor, he realizes, this is how I have to play this part to make it work. You can't take it too seriously, but you can't be too over the top with it. But you have to pay homage to the show, but you have to bring something new to it. And it has to be funny because it's a comedy, but it can't be too funny to take away from the scene. He is so good in those Brady Bunch movies, which I got to be honest, I didn't really care for the movies that much, but his parts are amazing. He is so good in that. I agree. The, The incredible thing with it is that he looked nothing like Mike Brady. Or I guess I should say like uh, Robert Reed, right? Who played Mike Brady. He looked nothing like him. But Gary Cole had Robert Reed's voice down pat. Yes. It was yes. uncanny. Like he had his voice just to a T. God, he was good at that. I agree. I'm glad you mentioned that. Like I The just, other yes, yeah, the other yeah. one, the other one the other you're thing is is not a comedic role, but a dramatic, serious performance. He had a recurring role in the Good Wife, the television show with Juliana Margulies that we actually talked about a little bit. Oh yeah, on you our, mentioned you like that show, yeah. 
And then the, the follow-up show, The Good Fight, he is in that as well, pl- reprising his role, same character. He plays a, uh, re- uh, a Republican who is a gun expert, who is like a firearms expert, who uh, is married to uh, Baranski's character, and he is a no-nonsense, I-know-what-I'm-talking-about ballistics expert, and his role is amazing he, he he's not in a lot of episodes and when he's in the episodes he has very small parts because obviously the show's not about him but oh my god he's so good he is so so good and uh if you're even a moderate fan of his and you have not watched the good wife or the good fight i mean that's a reason alone to watch i mean those shows are great and i've talked about that before but his performance in that Fantastic. Like I say, I don't know why he's not bigger than he is. He started off in Chicago uh, at the Steppenwolf Theater Company, and but he never did Second City in Chicago, and I'm not sure why because I think he would have been amazing on that stage. Like, the, and you know, he was born in Chicago. You know, I, when I when I think of Gary Cole, I think he's like the perfect actor to be doing Second City. So I don't I don't know, but man, he was perfect in this movie. So, the whole passive aggressive boss thing, God, he's oh, good. Yeah, for sure. Oh. Uh, let me ask you this uh, little tangent here. Yeah. So we talked about binge watching shows, and one of the shows you said you were going to try to watch was The West Wing. Are you still watching The West Wing? So I watched the first two episodes, and I really liked it. I enjoyed it, but my wife, she thought it was boring. So it's been a bit of an uphill climb for me to get her to watch more episodes right now. So without ruining too much, Gary Cole comes into the cast, I think in season four or five, and he has a pretty significant recurring role in that for like the last three or four seasons. So again, dramatic performance, also quite good. Not a huge role, but enough that he's in a lot of episodes. Uh, so again, I know you're already looking forward to watching more West Wing, but if yeah. you needed another reason, he becomes one of the the recurring characters. So he was great in that too. Another reason why I got to get my wife to watch more of that. Okay, another guy in this movie I really liked was Stephen Root. Oh my god, he was perfect as Milton. Like I mean, yeah. perfect. And before watching this movie, I, the only thing I'd ever seen him on was news radio. And I, have you ever seen that show, Cave? Uh, I, I have. I didn't really care for it. I'm not a big. I, I mean, I'm gonna have to uh, turn in my Canadian card here. But Dave Foley is not my favorite Kids in the Hall actor. I'm not a big fan of his work, and so I really had a problem with his radio. I just well, get- yeah, I get. It. I mean, Dave Foley has a. Tr- I thought Dave Foley was great in Kids of the Hall. I used to like that show. I, I went to see them live. They came to Brock University, and so I mean, I was I was always big fans of Kids in the Hall. But he's good at playing characters. But in that, he just plays this guy Dave, and he's just a normal guy, and it it didn't really work. Mike Myers has the same problem. Mike Myers plays lots of characters, but when he tries to play himself, like in How I Married an Axe Murderer or something like that, it just doesn't pull it off. So I understand yeah. where you're coming from. But um, yeah. the show was good. Like, I, I, it was very seminal because um, in addition to Dave Foley, there was like Andy Dick and Joe Rogan and Phil Hartman and Maura Tierney. Man, I had a major crush on her too. Um, but Stephen Root was like this overbearing, sort of overconfident boss which is the complete opposite of Milton in Office Space, you know, like, yeah. which is so funny. But in this movie, like the way he would just sit there and mumble everything. And it was like this quiet desperation of him trying to keep his world intact. You know, like, I, I don't want to move. You know, that's my stapler. And then and then he'd, he'd be like, I, I'm gonna, I'll burn the building down. And like, how did this guy ever get a job in the first place? Like, he's a total antisocial psycho. Like, what skills would he bring to the company? I just don't get it. <laughs> so one of the things that uh, that really I was able to identify with is when we – in in my office, whenever it's someone's like, 
birthday or there's a wedding shower or some notable uh, 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 anniversary of some sort, they bring in a cake. And they always do the thing where, you know, <laughs> cut the piece, pass the cake. Yep. And I inevitably, I always end up sitting near the person who's cutting the cake. And so I'm always the one passing. And I always look at them and say, if I end up being the Milton in this event here, there's going to be a problem. I'm going to have to burn the place down. And like nine times out of ten, they look at me like – what? Oh but my there's God, yeah. in the room that sort of chuckles. And yeah, more than once, that's been the thing where I'm the guy passing the cake, passing the cake, passing the cake. And then I'm like, hey, where's my piece? Sorry, we're all out of cake. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the Milton. So, And I noticed during the opening credits that the movie is based on the Milton shorts, but it wasn't him that did it, right? It was Mike Judge that did those animated shorts, right? Yeah. And, and um, the one, oh, sorry, yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say, uh, no, keep going. I'll come back to Stephen Root here in just one second. Um, one thing you, you were going to mention about the stapler. So, um, what okay, were we going to so let me get this. Yeah. So, um, when they film the movie, there's a big part about the stapler and, you know, these like, he mumbles about the stapler and lumber comes over and takes the stapler. And that's like the MacGuffin of the movie where they, like he takes the stapler and he's like, I'll burn the building down. If you can give me back my stapler. And it's a red swing line stapler. Well, once the movie started to get legs and people started to watch this movie, they wanted a red swing line stapler as as just a little wink wink i've seen this movie and this is my act of defiance against the man who owns my company well swing line didn't actually make a red swing line stapler all their staplers were black and all of a sudden they had all these all these inquiries how do i get a red one how do i get a red one how do i get a red one and people are like the people at swing line were like where is all this coming from well it turns out the prop department was asked in the movie to paint it red because black was too hard to see on screen. It just blended in with the other, with other things on the desk. But by making it red, in every scene where the stapler is, you can clearly see it because it's bright red against all the other things on the desk. But because they didn't make one, people couldn't buy it. Well, eventually, Swingline realized this is why people want this thing. And there is such a huge demand that they now make a red Swingline stapler. And it is their number one best-selling product and has been for like a decade. And they also probably had to make it red because Root was wearing those thick glasses. And it's the only way he could see it to grab it because well, he'd have that, like no depth perception wearing those glasses, right? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so yeah, a little, uh, little internet research there about the Swingline stapler. So, and, and I got to be honest, although I don't personally have a Swingline stapler, I know at least three different people uh, that have deliberately gone out and either bought or ordered the red Swingline stapler just as the little middle finger F you subtle gesture to the boss of I have the red swing line stapler and this is my tribute to Milton. And if you don't treat me right, I'm going to freaking burn the building down. Not that they ever would, but you know, it's that little uh, uh, hidden act of defiance uh, among the corporate just, culture. Just back to Gary Cole for a second, because I remember there's that, the, the sort of the sex dream scene where Lumber gets it. <laughs> and he's he's like apparently having sex with Jennifer Aniston and he's like looking at the camera like he's talking to Peter right and he's like yeah yeah he goes just move a little bit to the left yeah yeah that's it that's great and it's funny because when they were shooting the scene um Mike Judge is the one that suggested that Lumberg should have his coffee cup in his hand and it made Gary Cole break up, right? And and then they actually wanted to shoot it with him wearing his suspenders and they thought, ah, oh, that's a little bit too much, right? But uh, so I thought that, that scene was funny. Another scene that uh, sticks out to me that I really liked was when the guy comes along and he's selling the magazine subscriptions 
and they and they basically they get him in. And he's like, oh, you know, I'm I'm a crackhead and all this. So they they bring him in and they start telling him their about their money laundering scheme. And then they find out that he's actually like cognizant and he understands what they're saying. And he's like an engineer or a computer programmer or whatever he was. And then they're like, you know, I'm watching it and I'm thinking, oh man, he's going to want in on this scheme. And then Peter is like. Uh, like, like, kind of takes him outside and comes back in and goes, "Oh man, what am I going to do with forty subscriptions to Jive?" <laughs> I laughed because I thought, "Oh, he's going." I thought they're going to have to pay him off. Like, they're going to have to like bring him into the scheme. No, he just wanted to sell more subscriptions. Uh, oh man, it was so funny. I, nice, I also nice. liked how they used gangster rap in this movie. Yes, even yes. though these guys work at an office, it's just so it doesn't fit in, you know, with the with the movie. But I, I thought it was really funny too. So this this is another personal example. So yeah. uh, my cousin, who's the same age as I am, I mentioned him uh, uh, that I have cousins my age in the comic book Stan Lee tribute uh, podcast. Uh, I grew up a lot of summer spent with my cousins. Uh, my one cousin uh, also like me works in an office day in day out, and he loves hardcore gangster rap. It's his all time favorite genre of music, and has been since he was like in high school and university, but he's the whitest whitey white guy you're ever going to meet. And he now works and lives in Chicago, like downtown Chicago. And so he said when he watched this movie, he couldn't stop laughing because he does exactly what the guy in this movie does. When he's coming in from the suburbs, he's got the rap music blaring in the car and they're like, you know, it's totally uncensored and there's all this inappropriate language. And then when he gets into the, like the heart of Chicago, he's like, okay, if I don't want to get killed today, I better turn the music down and roll up my windows because if somebody hears this music coming from me, Mr. Whitey McWhite Pants, I'm going to get shot. And so sure enough, he's like, turn the volume down, roll the windows up. And he's like, dooper doop. I'm a white guy going to the office now. Nobody pay attention to the fact that I like gangster rap music. And so that that to me made it even funnier because I could just picture my cousin doing exactly what this guy did at the start of the movie. So mm-hmm. it's just you, it just seems everybody I know knows someone who who is like a guy in this movie or it's like I, I work with a guy like this. I know a guy like this. I have a boss like this. The movie for me anyway is just so relatable on so many levels because almost every character I could say I know a guy that's just like that. Yeah, and I like I said I think that's really the appeal to the movie. Like I mean, overall though still like I I, I thought that it was it was okay, you know, overall there were some things I didn't like about the scene where those two bobs, the consultants um, where they meet with Peter and then remember they're all impressed with his attitude. That scene I didn't like. Like, I mean, I really? Just, yeah, I, I know it's played for comedy, but I mean, if you just told two consultants that you fish all day long and you work like 15 minutes a day, I don't think their reaction would be, hey, let's promote this guy. You know, like I, I understand it's supposed to be cartoonish kind of a nature, but um, I, I, not like I expect a lot of nuances in the characters. But to me, that that scene just didn't work. And Diedrich Bader, like I say, I generally like him. I liked him in Napoleon Dynamite. I thought he was funny in that. I liked I liked him. He was a bit more of a subdued character in the Drew Carey show. Mm-hmm. But here, I feel like he was almost miscast in this role. Like, yeah. The, the character should have stole every single scene he was in. And he had a couple of memorable moments, but a lot of it kind of fell flat for me. I mean, going back to what we said before about, you know, getting stars in, I think they wanted Owen Wilson and, and Vince Vaughn for this part originally. And obviously I'm glad neither one of them got it, but I, don't, I, I thought it could have been funnier. There's just some parts of the movie just fell flat and, and just don't compare with like those, those sort of classic, you know, comedies of the 70s and 80s that I love so much. 
Yeah, I think I think so. I'll definitely agree with you on that. I think that uh, casting him in that role was not a necessity. It really could have been anybody. The role is so small and only has a few lines. You could have cast a nobody and potentially given them an opportunity to demonstrate a little bit of uh, of of their acting chops, their comedic chops. Uh, but yeah, he's hardly in the movie, and the scenes he's in, it really could have been anybody. Um, with with Office Space, though, I found that for me personally, I think. If you look at it as a three-act play, act one and two, in my opinion, are great. Act three, I felt, really fell short. It was almost like they had this great setup, and it got to a point, and they're like, geez, how are we going to put a bow on this and wrap this up? And then they just sort of went, ah, let's make this, this, and this happen, and done. And I just felt that you had this really, really good setup. And then once you had the setup, and he gets hypnotized, and he comes into work, and he tells them, this is what my day is actually like. And you start to see, like... What what would how would things change if a guy actually was that direct and that blunt and that forthcoming, and and then you see a little bit of that play out, and then I didn't really feel that the resolution and the conclusion w- was satisfying. That that's sort of my only criticism of the movies. I just no, felt that yeah, the three was very bland. That's a good observation, I think, actually. And you just when you mentioned that um, that scene when he went to the doctor and got hypnotized, it kind of stood out to me because that's Mike McShane. In the playing the doctor there, and I don't know if you know him. I remember him because he was on the original "Whose Line Is It Anyway" from England, uh, the one with Clive Anderson. And I also remember him; he was in Seinfeld as Franklin Delano Romanowski. I don't know if you remember that or not, but I, uh, I don't. Honestly, I was never a big fan of Seinfeld when it yeah. went on originally. So, but uh, like I said, I, the other thing too, just to kind of wrap things up, I was never a big Mike Judge fan. Like I got to admit, like I never liked Beavis and Butthead. I mean, I thought it was dumb and I didn't like King of the Hill. I, I don't even know how that show stayed on the air. And and I think I mentioned before, I don't even know why. Why was it animated? Why was it animated? Like, yeah, there's you no real reason. Time. Like when I watched the show that you told me to watch um, Big Mouth Big and I watch, OK, there's a reason why that's animated. Like, I mean, all this stuff going on and the hormone monster and all that. It should be animated. Right. But King of the Hill, just a bunch of guys standing around talking. It doesn't even need to be animated. But the thing that I will say Mike Judge did well was he made the movie relatable. And I think we've said that a couple of times. Another good example is when they took that printer and you mentioned it, they took it out in the field and they smashed the hell out of it. I think that's really relatable for a lot of people, especially when uh, the Michael Bolton guy just goes back for more. Like it's like they're done and then he goes back in for the kill more. Like I, yeah. I, There's just something relatable about that. Um, but the thing that I will say is, is this, and this goes back to what I said at the beginning. I know it's become a cult classic. But for me, it doesn't have that rewatchability factor that I find with Gen X movies like like Stripes and Ghostbusters and Caddyshack that we mentioned earlier. Like I can watch those movies a million times and I don't think I could watch, watch this movie a million times. There's just something about Gen X movies that set them apart. That's okay, th- that's just my thing. Yep. So two sort of two questions. Sure. First of all, do you think if you worked in an office and had always worked in an office, the movie would be more rewatchable because you might relate to it a little bit better? Uh, no, because, I mean, I've never worked as a caddy, but I can watch Caddyshack a zillion times. Okay, fair enough. Second point is, what if I told you you only had to watch the first hour? If you would, Do you think the first hour is something you could watch over and over again? No, and I think maybe you're hitting on something because to me, those Gen X movies, those Gen X comedies, the classic comedies that I love so much, for me, the first act is always the best. It's just setting things up. When you watch Stripes, the whole first half of the movie is just so good setting things up. And this movie 
doesn't quite do that as well as those ones. So usually the first part of the movie is the favorite part of the movie for me as a general rule with a lot of these comedies. But this one, it wasn't. I actually didn't mind the ending. I didn't mind the way it kind of resolved itself with Milton finding the uh, the envelope of the traveler's checks and going down south. So I, I didn't mind that resolution. I thought, ah, it's, you know, it's kind of funny. It's entertaining. But no, so I wouldn't just be satisfied if I just had to watch the first half. You know, it didn't stand out. Okay. Okay, okay that's, that's fair. Yeah. That's fair. So, Chris, overall, yes. if you had to give this a, a score, either a score out of 1 to 10 or a letter rating, if it was a, a, a you know, do you give it a grade, where would you put this on your scale? Where does this weigh in for I'd you? I'd probably give it a 6.5. Six and a half out of ten. Yep. Yeah, I'd probably give it a six right. and a half out of ten. I would probably put a little higher. I would say maybe a seven and a half, possibly even an eight. But I think again, right. my my opinion or viewpoint is a little bit more biased, partly because I, I do work in an office, I do work in a bank, and I think that for for me personally, it relates a little more closely to my chosen occupation. So if I'm going to say it's a seven and a half or an eight, I would think for other people maybe it might be a little less than that, a seven seven right. and a half. So, uh, yeah, I can see your six and a half yep. being a fair estimate. Yep. That's for an old guy like you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, easy there, man. Okay. <laughs> well, what do you say now we have some fun with Caveman? <clears throat> All right. Um, I'll tell you what, uh, Caveman, since I, I love Gary Cole, and I mentioned that, and what this movie is really about is about having a crappy boss, I thought it might be a good idea for tonight to have some fun, and we'll play a little game that I'm going to call... Who's the boss? Okay, so here's how it works. Okay. I just mention a character from a movie or a TV show. And Caveman, you just tell me who their boss is. Okay? You so want the actor's name or the character's I'm name? Looking for the, I'm looking for the character's name. Okay. Of the oh, boss. Geez, I'm not the actor's the name. Okay? Okay. Okay. So here's what I'll do. I'll mention the character. You tell me yep. who's their boss. It's that simple. Okay? Okay. okay. All right. I'm going to start with an easy one. Dwight Schrute. Who's Dwight Schrute's boss? I don't even know who that is, so I have no idea. You've never seen The Office? No. Oh, you never seen the TV show The Office? Michael Scott. I just thought that was like the easiest oh, okay. one of all to start with. Oh my I, I watched a few episodes. I didn't care for it. I oh, stopped okay. watching. All right. Mary Tyler Moore. Who's Mary Lou Tyler Grant. Moore? Very good. Very good. There's one. All right. Uh, Carla Tortelli. Who is Carla Tortelli's boss? Oh, she was in Cheers, so I got to think Sam Maloney's Sam boss. Sam Maloney's correct. Very, very good. Okay, here's an easy one. Waylon Smithers. Who is Waylon Smithers' boss? C. Montgomery Bird. Very good. Yes, it was. All right, this one's going backwards, but a, but a classic. And one that I'm putting in here because I played him once in a play. Bob Cratchit. Bob Cratchit. Who is Bob Cratchit's boss? Wasn't that uh, the Christmas movie? Wasn't that uh, Scrooge? Wasn't that Ebenezer Scrooge? Yeah. <laughs> Took me a second. I got there. I got there. All right. Well, let's go up to the 70s now. Roscoe P. Coltrane. Who was, oh. Who was Roscoe P. Coltrane? Dukes of Hazzard. That yes. was Boss Hogg. Yes, he was a boss. He was Boss Hogg. All right. Here's another one sticking to the 70s. Alice, Flo, and Vera had a boss. What was his name? Alice and Alice. They were... Uh, uh, Mel was the head of the diner, but I don't know what his last name was. We'll just oh, say Mel. We'll take Mel. It was Mel Shepard. Yeah, we'll take Mel. All right. Uh, sticking with a time frame, Gopher, Julie, and Isaac the bartender had a boss. Who was their boss? Uh, Isaac was from The Love Boat, but I never watched The Love Boat. I don't know. It was Captain Steubing. Captain no. Steubing was their boss. All right, here's an easy one for you. Clark Kent. Who was Clark Kent's boss? 
Perry White. Yeah. I'm like, that's Superman. Who's yeah. Superman's yeah. boss? Oh, I'm yeah. Like, oh, yeah. He worked for the Daily Planet. She was right? only the boss at home. Right. At there work, you go. it was Perry White. All right, here's one for you. Dr. Johnny Fever. Who was Dr. Johnny Fever's boss? That was that was WKRP. It yep. was uh, – I have no idea. I can picture the guy, the Maytag man. I can't think of his real his character's name. Arthur Carlson. Carlson. I would have also yeah. accepted the big guy if you were to give me that. Never right. that. Here's an animated one for you. George Jetson. What was George Jetson's boss's name? I don't know. You don't remember Mr. Spacely? Mr. Spacely. No? All right. Alex Rieger, Elaine Nardo, and the Reverend Jim Ignatowski all answered to the same boss. What was his name? I don't know who any of those people are. You never watched Taxi? It's Louis De Palma. Never no? once. All right. Here's one I know you're going to get. James Bond. Who's James Bond's boss? Uh, I got to think it was M. <laughs> That's a guess. Very good. All right. Elaine Bennis. Worked for a time. Uh, 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 oh, yeah, you didn't like Seinfeld Peter, at all. What's Mr. Peterman. Oh, you, but you know it's Jay Peterman. <laughs> I've seen some episodes of Seinfeld, yeah. Not many, but. All right, how about Barney Fife? What was Barney Fife's boss's name? Uh, that was uh, Mayberry, right? Andy Mayberry? Uh, Andy, I don't know what his character's name. Andy, Andy, Chief Andy. <laughs> Yeah, and Sheriff Andy Taylor. We'll give you that one. Nah, I'll give you that one. And then finally, the namesake for this, for this game. No, it's not have to do with Happy Days. The namesake for this game itself, Tony Maselli. What was Tony Maselli's boss's name? Oh, her name was Angela Bauer. Yeah. Angela Bauer. <laughs> wow, I can't believe I remembered that. Holy you, cow. You got who's the boss for who's the boss. I'm so impressed. <laughs> That's just awesome. Ooh, didn't get them all, but I got I enough. I'm okay with that. Yeah, there's a time for love and a time for living. Uh, Take a chance and face the weird. Sing the holiday rap instead? <laughs> exactly. Very good. Very good job on the Who's the Boss. Uh, I like thank it. you. Thank you. I thought it'd be a lot of fun to do that. That so, was way more stressful than I imagined it would be. Yeah, there you go. You know, so it is what it is. So anyway, uh, that's kind of it. You know, we talked about Office Space. Uh, you know, hopefully uh, you either agreed or disagreed with some of the things we had to say. If you want to reach out to us on Twitter, you can find us at Amaron underscore DM. That's Derek at C. McBrien. That's me. PopGoesYourWorld.com is our website. All of our contact information is on there. If you want to shoot us an email or reach out to us, we'll make sure and get back to you. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. We'll be right back.